You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, that escalated pretty quickly. It has been a wild, wild day as we are a little more than 48 hours out from the trade deadline. It seemed a little bit quiet in the morning, then all of a sudden, boom, Marlins trade Starling Marte. They go get Jesus Lazardo. Then they also simultaneously officially sign Khalil Watson, their first round pick. What a day it's been. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. And as always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I am a longtime Marlins writer as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And as this was all happening, I wanted to do something. I was like, should I go live? I hopped on a Twitter space for a minute. I talked a little bit about the Lizardo deal with Fish Stripes, with Eli Sussman and Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm. That was a lot of fun. But I got a lot more to say and a lot more to talk about. So here is the emergency podcast where we're going to talk about the deadline so far and uh, what this means ahead. Hopefully the Marlins don't make a deal right after I publish this for an outfielder. I would say too, I would love to see them make a deal for an outfielder right now, but they don't necessarily need to do that. They could do it in the offseason as well. If the asking price is too high on certain players, then you could easily just wait till the offseason, right? The Marlins are not really looking to compete this year. This season is largely lost, even though they have won three in a row. Another good game yesterday against the Orioles. But, you know, this season is probably lost and you don't need to force a deal just because you want to get it done now. I would love, I would really prefer for the Marlins to go get a center fielder now, but it does not really hurt to wait till the offseason. That being said, I expect them to be pretty active and I'm going to talk about what this Lizardo acquisition means, who could be expendable, and also where he fits in to the Marlins' long-term plans because I am a believer in Lizardo and I'm going to break down what's been working for him, what hasn't really, which has been more so the case as of late and why he's been struggling. But remember, this is a consensus top 10, top 15 prospect in baseball over the last few years until he graduated after 2020. This is a guy that is as gifted as anybody you're going to find. So super exciting there. I was actually supposed to record the latest episode of Outside the Box with Jeff Conine. And I had to tell Jeff like, hey, we got to wait on this episode. We got to delay this about an hour. If you can record in an hour, that'd be great because I'm just not going to mentally be there right now. So we are delaying that episode. But by the way, if you did not catch the last episode of Outside the Box with Jeff Conine, we just interviewed Rob Nen, talked a lot about the 97 team. So much fun. Nen was ridiculously good. In the late 90s and up until the first couple years of 2000, I honestly never realized how dominant Nen was until I had uh, really prepared for the interview where I saw like, wow, this guy was on a borderline Hall of Fame track, over 300 saves in his career, and his career was cut short at 32 years old because of shoulder injuries and shoulder issues. He was a guy that threw 100 before 100 was common. His slider was disgusting. They literally called it the Terminator, and it was a really fun interview talking to him about their experience on the World Series team and then also a lot of about the game today and the landscape and of course a little bit about sticky stuff and he had probably the best take I've heard on that so definitely go check out Outside the Box with Jeff Conine and we're going to talk a lot about the deadline in terms of Jeff's experience with it and also what some of these moves mean for competing teams but back to what's happening right now because the Marlins have been incredibly active today it seemed like they were laying in the weeds and then boom they strike and maximize their return for a rental 
in Starling Marte going out to Oakland. And I think he's going to help Oakland immensely. I'm interested to see how it's all going to work because obviously Ramon Laureano is going to be manning center field. He's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. But now you have Marte probably in a corner. That's a really really good defensive outfield, super athletic, and now their offense gets even better. For the Marlins, they had to kick in $4 million. So they're paying essentially all of Marte's salary for the rest of this year to be able to get a guy like Lizardo. That is what really stands out to me. I don't think the old ownership would do that. I don't think we can think of an instance where that old ownership had done this. So this is one of those moments where you can say, okay, this is one of those tangible differences between the current ownership and the previous ownership because this past offseason, they did not really show much of a difference from the previous ownership, didn't invest that much in the bullpen, was not really that keen on spending on bats, and there were definitely shades of the previous ownership there, but also it was a really tough financial situation for the year before, and also this was this coming offseason is the year where they're really expected to spend, but then they don't extend Marte, and you look at that like, okay, here we go again. Are they maybe not going to fulfill those promises? That is still up in the air, and that's still to be decided, but this team kicking in $4 million to get a Jesus Lazardo here, a much higher quality of player than they would have been able to get in a deal for a rental in Starling Marte, that is a very, very good sign because this Marlins team wasn't even willing to pay $4 million for a reliever this past offseason. Money was really tight, so maybe this is a sign of the fact that the Marlins see some of that cash flow incoming now that they have fans in the seats, now that they have the new TV deal and the naming rights to the stadium, and they say, okay, we're going to spend money where we see fit because they were literally not willing to spend $4 million on a reliever. Now they technically spend $4 million to bring in a prospect. As you search up Jesus Lozardo's numbers, you might say, oh, that doesn't look great. He's he's struggling right now, and no doubt about it, he has been struggling between AAA and the big leagues. But I also think that some of it has to do with some small mechanical issues. He's dealt with a little bit of shoulder stuff in the past, which I think has affected his consistency with his release point, but he's healthy now, he's feeling good, and he's been going back and forth a lot. They've been moving him from the bullpen to the rotation, then back to the bullpen. They've been doing that ever since he came up, and I just don't think that's a great way to develop a pitcher, especially one like Lazardo, who is a guy that has four viable pitches. He's got the four-seamer, he's got the sinker, he's got a curveball, and he's got a changeup, and he's comfortable throwing all of those, but he doesn't really mix all of those in as a reliever, and as a reliever, he's going to go more four-seam heavy and more with the breaking ball, and it's more just trying to blow it by guys, which is not really his game. Even though he can reach upper 90s, and as a starter, he's more in the mid-90s, his game is more getting a lot of ground balls, getting guys off balance, and also, when he needs to, then he'll dial it up and blow it by you. What I think is really interesting about Lozardo, too, and I think he's going to fit in really well with the Marlins, is that he has a lot of similarities stuff-wise as Sandy Alcantara, which I think is part of the struggle that he's having right now, is that the sinker and the changeup are a bit too similar, and that's the one problem that he's having right now and being able to get those swings and misses and have the effectiveness on that sinker especially when throwing to righties because when he goes to righties, that's really when he's using that changeup. And he's also using the sinker just as much against righties. I don't think he should use the sinker too much against right-handed hitters. It should be four-seamer and changeup with the curveball mixed in because that curveball has some good vertical break and is still effective against righties as well. That seems to make more sense for me. Then you can go with the sinker on lefties. It's a 95-mile-an-hour sinker up to 96 or 7 when he's really feeling it, and that's going to run in on the hand 
hands of lefties and be really effective and overlay very well with the curveball, which even with his bad season this year has been a lights out pitch for him against lefties. They're hitting just 125 against it with a 61% whiff rate. And he throws it against lefties more than any other pitch. 37.8% of the time. And you imagine, you got that curveball that you got to be wary of as a lefty. You're leaning over the plate a little bit, and he runs a two-seamer or that sinker in on your hands. And that's going to be a difficulty for hitters, no doubt about it. So, yes, you could fall back on that and say he will be a a terror to left-handed hitters if he's a reliever. But I really see him as a starter long-term. The changeup, the problem for him really has just been locating it. I think that the stuff is good. The changeup really plays. He's been able to garner around a 30 to 40% whiff rate on that changeup throughout his big league career, whether it's out of the bullpen or as a starter. So when you're getting a 35 to 40% whiff rate on your changeup, same thing on the breaking ball, and then have a sinker that is able to get you a ton of ground balls in the mid-90s, and a four-seamer that gets swings and misses, I'm willing to bet on that guy figuring it out, and I exactly think that's what's going to happen. Lizardo is still only 23 years old, and now going to a team that has seen pitchers with similar type of stuff, similar type of arsenal, and I think that's really going to help him as well. The other thing is just that changeup command. At times, misses a spot with it, misses up or misses over the middle, and that's really been part of the reason why his four-seamer has gotten hammered and the sinker has gotten hammered so much is because of the fact that he has fallen behind in counts, and then hitters are sitting on that fastball or sitting on something in the mid-90s, whether it's the sinker or the four-seamer. That's the main reason why he has been struggling. I don't think the pitch is this flat, just super easy to hit type of fastball that's any more easy to hit than your average mid-90s fastball. It might even be more effective if he sets it up well with his other stuff, especially with the changeup and curveball. So I think he's going to be just fine. I'm really excited to see how the Marlins develop him, given that the changeup already has really impressive movement and deception. It's just going to be more about repeating it and being able to hone in on that command. And again, I think the Marlins are going to be able to help him do that. So really excited to see what they're going to do there. Also awesome to just see this kid come back home. Went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, local guy, was committed to University of Miami, ultimately was signed away when he was drafted by the Nationals, then traded for Sean Doolittle, and now traded for Starling Marte. The other thing, too, is I actually had him on the podcast on the Locked On MOE Prospects podcast. He is such an awesome guy. I played a couple tournaments with him, actually, in Summer Ball, and a great, great dude hard worker, really nice guy, and just another person you want to have in your organization, talent-wise and personality-wise, and I'm sure there's a very good chance we'll get him on the Locked on Marlins podcast here once he's all settled in with his new ball club, as the trade is actually already official. So excited to probably get him on here at some point in the next few weeks and talk about his move back home now uh, for Jesus Lazardo. So very exciting for the Marlins. And look at the pitching staff now. Again, you're looking at this guy as a starter. You're projecting him as a starter. And I would love to see the Marlins just roll him out there now. I mean, they need a starter right now, assuming that he's healthy and good to go. I know he's been struggling in AAA, but I'm telling you, in AAA and AA, the pitching and hitting coaches are not what you would think they are. Yes, I'm sure there's some direction coming from the big league club and stuff that he's working on, but you don't really have that MLB or Mel Stoudemire caliber coach to watch you as you're going through things and working on things. I I really think people would be shocked to see the coaching situations and even the upper levels of the minor leagues. It's, It's not great in a lot of different spots. So this would be a very good opportunity for him to just go out there. If he struggles a little bit, he struggles. Let him work through it. Let Mel Stoudemire Jr. get his eyes on him and start to work on things and get him ready to go 
and ready for the rotation come next year. This rotation is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You get another lefty in there, Trevor Rogers, Lazardo, and then you're going to have Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, assuming he's healthy, and then Sixto Sanchez, assuming he's healthy. You can see why the Marlins have a bunch of expendable arms now. I would say that just about anybody is expendable. I think Edward Cabrera also should be in that rotation, and I'd be more willing to trade just about anybody else in the system other than Edward Cabrera. But even if you have to give up Edward in a specific deal for a Catal Marte, that's probably one of the few guys I'd give up Edward Cabrera for, then you do it. Maybe a Byron Buxton, uh, but that's a risk in itself as well, which I wrote about on JustBaseball.com. Regardless, it's it's going to be a very favorable situation for the Marlins here where they have Jake Eater, Max Meyer, Edward Cabrera, any of those guys they could potentially deal from. And then they still have a ton of young, projectable starting pitching in the lower levels, whether it is Yuri Perez or Dax Fulton, and those guys fit the timeline more so when, you know, four years from now, the Marlins are not going to be able to extend all five guys in that rotation, and you'll probably have to look to replace one or two of the guys that you trade or let walk in free agency with a young player, with a young pitcher that's knocking on the door of the big leagues, and that would be hopefully Yuri Perez or whoever else, or maybe Zach McCambly, Kyle Nicholas. Those guys have been spectacular as well, and I think we could potentially see them as supplemental pieces in a trade too, though I hope not. As you know, I'm big fans of McCambly and Nicholas tracing back to my days in the Cape Cod League and uh, broadcasting for their team and actually just got a chance to see Nicholas and hang out with him out in South Bend when I went to visit Griffin for that series where before he got called up to double A, homered in all three games of the series, all three games I went to, he went yard. It was just ridiculous to watch. And that South Bend environment, by the way, is absolutely awesome. But Nicholas, by the way, absolutely dealt in his double-A debut. Lights out. I mean, look at the stat line there. He was unhittable and the command was strong. If Nicholas can get that command to just even be average in that third pitch to be average, he's going to be a very solid middle of the rotation, maybe ceiling of a number two type guy with the stuff that he has. I'm going to talk a little bit about Khalil Watson and then what a trade could look like for the Marlins if they decide to let some of these pieces go here in the organization, some of these pitchers, and which guys I might be more willing to deal. That's all coming up in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Also, get the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses, contest information, and everything in between. If you use the promo code Locked On, that's one word Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online your online sportsbook experts. Also brought to you in part by Rock Auto. Why pay 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need any maker model. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. And for example, just to show you how much cheaper their parts are, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from the chain store, only $216 at Rock Auto. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamp, motor oil, or even that new carpet. Go check out rockauto.com's easy-to-navigate website, and you'll be very happy and be able to find whatever you need, and they ship it straight to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. 
So the Marlins got to see firsthand yesterday how good Cedric Mullins has become at the big league level and how legit Cedric Mullins is. For the Orioles, they don't necessarily need to trade Mullins, but I'm sure as Mullins went yard against the fish and as Mullins showed the just dynamic ability that he has, bringing speed, power, good bat to ball skills, he's been just, cont- he hasn't slowed down at all. He's actually hitting as good as he has all year over the last month. The guy has just been ridiculous, but again, what's the point for the Orioles to trade him here? Only if they can get a King's Ransom for him. Mullins is going to be crazy expensive given that he's under control until 2026. That's when he'd be a free agent. And he's still only 26 years old, just turned 26 years old as a switch hitter with what he brings to the table. I don't really see how the Orioles deal him. I think the Marlins, you got to come in and say, hey, we'll give you Jake Eater. We'll give you a bunch of other pieces, maybe Jake Eater, McCambly, and then one or two other complimentary pieces. That still, I, they could easily just say, great offer. We really appreciate it, but we just don't want to. And you could say, okay, yeah, that's a fair market value. How do they turn that down? But I, I could easily see them just saying, hey, it doesn't really make sense for us. We think we're going to be competitive in the next five years, which I think every single team in baseball would assume that they're going to be competitive in the next five years. So it's really just a tough spot here if you're the Orioles. Their system's pretty good. If their system sucked, I'd say, okay, yeah, no way that you hold on to Mullins, cash in. But you never know. You never know what a team will do, uh, and it should be interesting. I could see the Marlins now that their rotation is pretty much solved. The only guy that they're really going to have to pay in the short term is Sandy Alcantara, who they're working out an extension with right now. So now that you've probably found your last piece or just another big league ready arm that you won't have to worry about paying anytime soon as he's under control until 2026, maybe the Marlins say, hey, we can go get a Byron Buxton and we can extend him. We can give him what he wants to get. The problem with that too is that I don't know if I want to give Byron Buxton a huge deal. The Marlins, they need bats really badly. Byron Buxton is one hell of a bat. When he's healthy, he could be a top 10 player in the game when he's healthy. But the Marlins can't afford to lose somebody to injury when they don't have that many bats to deal with, right? So if Buxton continues to get hurt in Miami, they're not going to have any contingency plan in center field. They're going to really feel that injury uh, as much as the Twins have this year. So that's going to be a tough spot too. I'm really interested in the idea of Byron Buxton, but this is one of those examples here where maybe you don't force the trade now, but you also don't want to miss out on getting a controllable center fielder if you don't make the trade now and somebody else acquires a guy at the deadline. So you're going to have to look at some other options, but I would still kick the tires on Buxton. I would say that if the price is too high in terms of prospect capital, I'd probably back off because you pair the injury risk with the long-term contract you're going to have to give him. You should not have to give up a ton, like a ridiculous haul for him as a player that you're trading for. But I I still think it's going to be pretty expensive regardless, and it's going to require an eater. I just think the complimentary pieces may not be as high. The Angels are super desperate for pitching, and of course, they have a couple really good center field prospects in Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh currently at the big league level, and Joe Adele hitting a ton of home runs in AAA but also striking out 30% of the time and only walking 6% of the time. So with those 20 home runs in AAA on the West Coast, that's still only a 108 WRC+. That is not somebody that I'm probably giving up the house for, 
And I'm a bit nervous that the Marlins may have a large level of interest in him, given that he fits the mold of a lot of the prospects that they've pursued. Maybe they've learned their lesson, or maybe they want to continue to pursue prospects like that. He could easily be able to figure it out. But given the Marlins' recent track record of developing offensive prospects, I am not going to bet on the Marlins helping Joe Adele figure it out at the big league level. A guy that would really not need any help to figure it out at the big league level is Brandon Marsh. I think Brandon Marsh is as high of a floor while still having a pretty high ceiling, just complete type of prospect that you're going to find. And Brandon Marsh is such a good fit for the Marlins because he doesn't have many questions around his hit tool. He's got above average power. He's a plus athlete. Like a really good athlete. He's a great defender in center with a good arm and can really just slot in at the one or two spot at the top of your order right away. He's big league ready. He's already in the big leagues right now. I've watched a ton of his at-bats because he's been one of my favorite prospects in baseball for a while now. And he's a grinder. He fouls off tough pitches. He takes good swings. He's not an easy guy to strike out. He takes his walks. And again, he can, he can run into some baseballs too. I don't know if the Angels are willing to part with him, but it would make sense for them as a team that really needs to win and really needs to find pitching to supplement Mike Trout, to supplement Shohei Otani, who's also a pitcher, but to supplement that core. I know Rendon's been banged up, but how much longer can you just continue to struggle with the pitching? They drafted 20 arms in all 20 of their picks in this past draft. I think that they would be willing if the Marlins say, hey, we're not really interested in Joe Adele. Maybe the Angels are weird and like Joe Adele more than Brandon Marlins. I personally like Marsh a lot more, and if that's the case, then I'm offering a haul for Brandon Marsh, and it's going to be like a prospect for prospect deal, but maybe you give him a Cody Poteet who's big league ready now and can slot into the back of your rotation, or Zach Thompson, who is the same story, who's been even a little bit better, and then some of those pitching prospects like a Jake Eater or a Max Meyer or whoever it takes in a larger deal. Wouldn't just be Brandon Marsh. There could be some other pieces that come over to the Marlins as well, but whatever it takes, I don't even know what that would look like. I'd have to really sit down and think about it, but whatever the Marlins have to do to get Brandon Marsh, that would be a difference maker in my opinion, and I'd be willing to do that. I'd be willing to go cheaper for Brandon Marsh than I think going absolutely absurd for a Cedric Mullins if they're able to attain Brandon Marsh with maybe a type of deal that is a Zach Thompson and a Jake Eater with Marsh and one other piece. I would be totally down for that. And I think that would be a really interesting way to, again, have your center field controllable for a long time. You're not having the risk of rolling the dice with another hitting prospect. He's ready to go. He has as high of a floor as you're going to find while still having all of the tools That's a guy that really, for me, I have no concern about him panning out in the big leagues. It's just how high is his ceiling going to be? Is he going to be an above average regular or is he going to be an all-star? I I think he's going to be somewhere between the two. And if the Marlins can get that in center field, you give up some of your pitching depth for that. Whatever the deal exactly looks like, that will remain to be seen. But I'd be pretty much open to almost anything to get Marsh within reasonability there. So that's going to be interesting. Do they go the close to big league ready prospect route or now that they have even more expendable pieces since Lizardo kind of makes the lefties eater even more expendable, Braxton Garrett even more expendable, and just the pitching prospects in general even more expendable because you now have your rotation solved for next year and beyond, assuming Lizardo is going to figure it out, which I totally am assuming pretty safely. That's going to be fun because they can go a bunch of different routes and it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. Again, they don't need to do it right now, but I think it does make sense in a lot of ways to do it now if you don't want to miss out on some other opportunities or if you want to get a Brandon Marsh type 
when the angels, they don't want to necessarily totally go all in and buy, but if they can make their team better now as they are just somehow and probably hanging around in the picture without Mike Trout and without Rendon, if they can help themselves now, like getting a Zach Thompson and a minor league pitching prospect, which helps them now and in the future, that would make a ton of sense for them. And that could be an opportunity where the Marlins can kind of cash in on that and get them to be a little bit more desperate to deal a Brandon Marsh or a player of that type. So we'll see. It's going to be a fun few hours. I hope that nothing's happened in the last like 10, 20 minutes as I've been recording this. My last thoughts are just on Khalil Watson. The fact that the Marlins were able to nail that down now too solidifies this draft class as one of the best in the entire league this year. I'd put it at number two behind the Pirates who were somehow able to sign everybody in that class. Just an absurd draft class from the Pirates that to me, obviously we have to see how the players pan out, but in terms of upside and talent is as good of a draft class as we've seen in a really, really long time. But outside of that, the Marlins are right up there Definitely top three or four draft. I'd put him at number two. The Red Sox not being able to sign Judd Fabian makes their draft a little bit of a disappointment. The Marlins pulled it off. You got to tip your cap. I thought they they squeezed it a little bit close there. It got a little bit scary, but they were able to pull it off. And between now adding Lazardo and now bringing in a huge upside offensive prospect into your system, you got to feel really good if you're the Marlins today. A lot to be excited about if you're a Marlins fan, but a lot more to do, a lot more moves to make, and we'll see how it goes over the next 48 hours. You know I'll be with you every step of the way. I will also be writing about this and doing some analysis in articles for JustBaseball.com, so go check that out as well. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.